Hello. H- hello. Whoa, you're really loud. Whoa, it's, it's me. Oh, my gosh. It's not you. Turn down your cans. I did. I turned down my, my cans. It hurt my, hurt my eardrums. <laughs> uh, is this oh. the venerable? I know, it was good. Um, is this the venerable Dr. Donald S. Schaffner? This is the irritated Dr. <laughs> Donald Schaffner. I have so many things I want to talk to you about, Ben, I can't that, are, wait. that are irritating me today. Oh, is it and, me being late is probably one of them. No, no. Exacerbated. See, so here's the thing, Ben. You you know how to communicate. Um, other, <laughs> and, and so when you are going to miss a deadline or you are going to be late, you communicate in advance. And then, and then, and then you know, uh, there's communication that happens. Um, there is. As opposed to other people that don't know oh. how to read an email or – that don't know how to write an email, and Ooh. and and so I'm just currently. Well, I'm I'm a little bit irritated at myself um, because uh, there was a there was a deadline uh, of today on something that I needed to do um, that uh, I did not realize because I was busy and I was doing other things, and I finally got around to an email that was sent to me, let's say two weeks ago. Okay. Um, and, and I finally read the email and it said at the bottom of the, well, no, let me see. I've given it away. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I'm like, so excited. Ben, if you have to write an important email that you want someone to respond to by a certain deadline, how do you communicate that in the email message? I, I would do this in, in one of two ways. One, it would be in the subject line. Boom. Two. I would, Thank you. I would lead with it. I would yes. lead one of those two. Yes. Yeah. Yes. It, Exactly, exactly. What, and it's are what, you you're suggesting you, neither neither of those occurred. What you wouldn't do is you wouldn't you wouldn't put it at the bottom of a message mm-hmm. that is written in very small font. Um, let's see. You you would not put it in the bottom of a message um, at, behind about three hundred and ten other words, some of which are in bold, but the deadline is not in bold. Uh, true. So, uh, you know, I I, it tells you that what's in bold is what we need you to do, which is also at the bottom. But what is not in bold is the deadline by which we need you to do it, which is, <laughs> I, I think, um, and, you know, so I asked for an extension and the response was, well, yes, but please try to get it done as soon as possible. I asked for a two-week extension because I want to be precise in what I'm yeah. asking for. Not, not, I can't do this. Can I have an extension? But I need two weeks to do this. And the response was, yes, uh, please, but please have it done as quickly as you can. And my response was, I will certainly do that. And by the way, here's how you write an email. So <laughs> I'm, uh, yeah, anyway, I'm, I'm probably. Did you, I'm, put, did you put your new do, due date in the subject line? I did and say, not. I, I will, I, I fixed it for you. I did, uh, not. I did not. Oh, that's, that's, um, that's, that's okay. But, uh, yeah, so, uh. Uh, what I, what I did write is uh, yes, I have given the students one week from today for, to get back to me. I know this is the same letter we get every year with minor modifications. But as a best practice, let me suggest that if an email has a deadline for the response, it be in the subject header or the first line or two. Oh, that's good. That's good. I like it. So anyway, um, uh, progress progress can be made. Um, or or maybe I'm just pissing people off. I mean, you know, I whatever. I mean, what are they going to do? Fire me? Well, exactly. Maybe you don't you don't work in Florida, where that might actually be a possibility. Holy crap. <laughs> Ah, uh, Don, should we talk about that? What's we, that? I don't know. Florida? Well, that, that we have a friend who works in Florida and her college is going to uh, maybe lose a bunch of money. 
because uh, some politics. I don't know. Maybe we'll I, we'll I, leave that up. Way we should stick to what we know, which is food safety and how to write emails. <laughs> True. We're really yeah, and and respond to emails. Yes. Yes, and communicate uh, clearly. You know, with uh, text message or what have you. With yeah, with the te- with the text, and I appreciate you because you 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 and I, I think we have um, similar levels of easygoingness. I know, I know you can get frustrated uh, sometimes. You also are really good at uh, at, at time and and being organized. This is me telling well, you from the outside. Well, I I don't know about being organized because I mean ah. this is the same guy that that took three weeks to respond to an email, but whatever, um, whatever. It's you have a system. I have a system. Uh, um, and, uh, and, and I have a system as well that includes me putting things on a calendar, which I, um, recently like within the last month have made this calendar, um, uh, semi-public. So, so one of the things that, that we have the ability to do, uh, as a Google app suite university, uh, which you probably have the same thing is, is that you can, but you're not Google, you have We're other office 365, right, right. Um, you can you can put things on a calendar and that um, allow for privacy, you know, set some privacy settings. So so everyone can see when you're busy or not busy. Um, you can allow people to add things to your calendar, which I've opted out of. Um, you, you know, I, I can uh, I, I, I'm a lot. I, I allow people who have NC State um, unity IDs, which is the, uh, uh, the login system we have, uh, for our email and all of our HR and all of, all of our university business stuff. I've allowed, uh, individuals with those unity IDs to see, um, my calendar with no details, just when, when I'm blocked out with something. And, um, Usually, so so I've I've gone through this transition because I I was running like two or three different calendars, actually more like five. Like I had one that was all of the kids' um, sports stuff, and then I had uh, one that was all of Danny's um, things that were related to her business, uh, and then we were sharing a calendar back and forth on family things that we were planning, and, and so I spent. Uh, an afternoon transitioning all of those things to one calendar and then made a rule that as things get added and I get invited that I will put it all on this NC state calendar. And, and I did that. So that, that didn't fail me. What failed me is that, um, I often, and this is not, it's like, it, it is more than once. Like, in fact, today I have two or three things that are going on on my calendar at the same time. Uh, because some of them are, uh, vestiges, vestigial, um, vestigial, um, uh, events from my, from my previous calendar. So I, so I have like, uh, for instance, today at 2 PM, I have a meeting at Brickhaven and then I have a meeting with Chapman. Both of those meetings, I know by looking at it at a, qu- at a quick glance, those are the same meetings, but I've been invited to this meeting by two different people. Um, and I just leave it there knowing, well, it's easier than me trying to you know, can put it all together. Right. But now I'm uh, confused. Um, are you Brickhaven or are you Chapman or are you well, neither? I am both. So the meeting Whoa. is at Brickhaven, which is the building that I'm in, and I am Chapman. Uh, so I... Uh, one, one meeting, uh, is, it is the same meeting with two different groups that I am the connecting piece. And anyway, it, so anyway, I look at that and I'm like, oh, I know I have that. What I didn't look at this morning 
at 10 a.m. was we had FST 127. Then I had schools discussion. And then I had a FERC conference call and then FERC conference call. <laughs> so, yeah, because that those FERC man people, those FERC people, man, they need a lot of conference calls. They need they need a lot of conference calls. I knew that I was not going to make the FERC conference call. And saw but what about that the I, FERC conference call? Were you gonna I was not going to make either either <laughs> okay. FERC conference call. One is in blue for because it's on one calendar. One is in brown because it's in my NC State calendar. Uh, anyway, uh, it meant that I uh, I double booked, which I I I, re- I rarely do. It, it, uh, I usually stack things as opposed to double. But anyway, we doubled. Yeah. Uh, so well, anyway, I had, to, I had to push us. So a little bit. so well, and I understand that. And so so le- since we're talking about calendars, because apparently this is a show about productivity, calendar um, safety. Uh, I have uh, I have on my calendar uh, the things that I schedule for myself, uh, which are in blue. And I had uh, FST at ten o'clock. Um, I also have my wife's my wife's calendar, uh, which mostly consists of a reminder in the morning uh, for her to take the dog out and a reminder in the evening. Um, for her to uh, asking the question, is the kitchen clean? Um, and uh, <laughs> is that a daily reminder? It's a daily reminder. I love it. Which which is I I have and I pointed this out to her one and only one time, and after that I have remained silent um, <laughs> because that is not a best practice um, according to uh, famous um, food safety. Uh, expert and uh, productivity guru Merlin, Merlin Mann, who uh, <laughs> who's been talking all about food safety a lot today, um, uh, a lot this this past uh, couple of weeks. Um, uh, so um, where's what's my point with all of this? Um, uh, so uh, anyway, so so it's on there uh, for better or worse. Uh, today uh, I have uh, a, a meeting at noon with a PhD student to go over her slides. At one o'clock uh, I am double booked because I have an extension specialist uh, department meeting. Uh, as well as at one o'clock today, the WWDC keynote, which uh, unfortunately, oh, yes. unfortunately I will not be able to go to. Number one, because I'm not in San Jose, and number two, I won't even be able to watch remotely because I will be in an extension meeting. Um, and then I have physical therapy at four thirty with with Oleg. But the thing that I that I also will do is I often get invitations to. Um, to be to do something, and they show up in my Office 365 calendar, um, which is in yellow. But I don't trust. <coughs> excuse me, I don't trust that. So yeah. I copy that and make it make an appointment in blue, which says exactly the same thing, but it's <laughs> in my blue calendar because that's my calendar. So for a conference call. So for example, on uh, tomorrow morning. Um, exactly. For t- tomorrow morning, June 6th, I have uh, to vote in the primaries in my state. I have a PhD update in yellow. I have a PhD update in blue. And I have take Bianca out exclamation mark in green from my wife's calendar. Excellent. Which actually now, for some reason, she changed the, exactly what the reminder said. And so now those are duplicated. And so I have essentially duplicate <laughs> reminders to take, for my wife to take the dog out. So I am I am quintuple booked, uh, but but the the good news is is that really only two of those matter, and one of those is a reminder to vote at some point during the day, um, and the other one is a thing I actually have to do. So uh, while it might look like I am quintuple booked, in fact I am only singly booked. This is fascinating for the, I, for listeners. This is why people tune in, Ben. Yeah, this is this is exactly it. I wish I w- this is one where I wish we could do video. Oh yes, because so, yes, exactly. we can do screenshots do and screenshots, yes. a screen a screen share, and then show you all this mess of scheduling. Uh, 
so Don, let, speaking of, uh, I, <laughs> this, this is a segue in my own mind. Um, cause in, I jumped from scheduling and calendars and the thought of being free of calendars and not worrying about it, which took me to being free of housing, which I was for one oh, night last yes. week. Oh, you were housing free. Were you homeless? Were you sleeping we on the streets? We slept, uh, slept at the Marriott, nice. Triangle Town Center Marriott. Yeah. Uh, for one one uh, evening from uh, about uh, 3.30 on uh, Thursday evening to 10 o'clock on Friday morning, uh, I was I was without housing. Uh, we sold sold our house and closed on that and then uh, bought another house and closed on that one the next day and moved in. And, and now we're um, – it still feels like we're on vacation a little bit. Because you got boxes everywhere. and We got boxes everywhere. And, and you're, you're just trying to figure everything out, right? Like oh, what's yeah. my – where are the light switches, right? Oh, like, oh, oh, oh right, because you don't know this new house. No, we don't know. And and like the, the dumb things like which tap – so so the, the previous owners really liked faucets. I'm a <laughs> – I'm I'm like a one, one one you know one one I don't know what the different types are called but you know you got a two tap faucet and then you got a one tap faucet yeah, yeah. and and the one tap faucet you can like put to one side yeah. and it's hot, hot and, and cold it's yeah. cold exactly and then the two taps you got like well one's hot and one's cold well now I got like my shower has two my bathtub has two both of the sinks in my bathroom have two. And and at, at any point in the last 48 hours or or 50 hours that I've lived in this in this house, have I wanted some form of warm water, which is a segue into something we're going to get into in a minute anyway. Mm. Ha ha. Uh, oh, you are and, you are on today. You're gay. Oh you are gosh. brought your A game, my friend. A game, A game. Um so but I'm I'm like fiddling around with faucets. So we we also have this challenge which is a good challenge. We now have a a tankless water heater in our bathroom. Yeah, great challenge. I mean, love it, right? So I don't have a bunch of hot water that's sitting there all the time. I think it's much more efficient. Mm -hmm. Like based on my uh, slight understanding of watching home and garden TV, Um, but uh, it takes some warm up time. So, so if I want to, let's say, wash my hair like I do in the morning. So I just to let you in on the intricacies of my life, I like to shower at night. I like to shower two or three times a day usually. Wow, you're really dirty. I no, I just like to be clean. <laughs> <laughs> it's different. It's different. But like, uh, I don't. I, but often I don't shower first thing in the morning. I. I but my my hair is is. I mean, is crazy. It's all like greasy, you know. You don't need to get into the intricacies of my of, of my hair, but I, I shower or have a bath often late at night, and then and I like I sleep much better after that. And then I get up in the morning, um, and then I I just like dunk my my head under the the faucet that fills up the bathtub. That that is like my entire life is what I've done. Um, and and so now I gotta like figure out I gotta I gotta plan a little more. So because it it takes not a it's it's not seconds to to have this um, waterless or tankless water heater heat up. It is it is a minute and a half or two minutes. So I I, I gotta like okay turn it on now now I've got to hold this other situation where it's like did I turn on the right tap because I don't know whether which one's hot and cold and although I've done it now three days in a row I don't remember is it the left is it the right I turn on the right I wait a minute and a half it's not getting hot oh well it must be the left I turn it on uh, and and wait and it's like oh this one's not really like is it getting warm I can't really tell like this is what I go through now <laughs> like the last three days. 
It's exhausting, Don. Moving's exhausting. Well, and this is this is this is like you know this is interesting because uh, there there are certain things that we we develop habits, we develop routines, and they ease our way through the day. But you are having to like recode like which way to turn the water faucet, and that that takes co- that takes cognitive load, Ben, and that uh, that can weigh you down. I understand this. Yeah, it is. It, it, I am a just in time kind of guy. You know, that's, that's what, uh, people, that's what made, that's what made America great again. Right. Was, um, just, just in time delivery, just let's, let's keep, uh, inventory elsewhere. Let's get it when we need it. And I'm, that's how I have, you know, I, I'm, if I have a meeting, I'm going to get there just in time. Uh, now my just in time has been totally, um, changed because I have to, I, I don't know what. Well, you have new my, times. You have you have, a, new, you have new commute times. You have you have a different amount of time to wash your hair in the morning because of the complexities of the temperature of the water. I mean, I yeah, you have to recalibrate everything, Ben. It's a it's a it's a it's, whew. it's a yeah. I'm it's tired a, of hearing about it. Gosh, yeah. Um, the the other the other piece that's been interesting about our transition to this new home is that we um, purchased the home without a fridge in it. Because our the previous owner really liked their fridge and they took it with them. And we sold a home with a fridge in it. So we tried to make it so we could get a fridge as quick as possible to be delivered to our new home. And as quick as possible means tomorrow morning. So so we, we've lived without a fridge, except not really without a fridge, because the new home that we purchased has a, a separate apartment that we're going to rent out. So for any um, Food Safety Talk listeners that are looking for housing in the Raleigh area, please just drop me a line. Um, but in that apartment, there is a fridge. It's just upstairs and through like a fire door, or we can go outside and go up some outside steps to this, to this apartment, um, where like keeping milk for cereal is, is no longer walking six steps from my cereal bowl to the fridge. I now have to go upstairs and if, and, and tell Don, you might not, uh, be surprised by this, but tell me how many times yesterday I went upstairs to get something from the fridge, came back down, realized that I did not get everything that I went up there for, or brought the wrong thing down. Um, and uh, the, uh, my guess, multiple times, multiple times. So I got a lot of flights of stairs in yesterday. That's good. That's good. Yeah, was, actually, yeah. we had a, a similar thing happen when our fridge failed um, uh, because we just, you know, it just was old. The, the fridge that came with the house was old, um, and it took us a while to get a new one. And so, in the meantime, we got wasn't really quite a dorm size fridge, but it was like a like a double a double high uh, dorm size fridge, uh, which we which we kept in the basement, which we still have, which is good as as kind of a backup if we if we need it. But uh, but yeah. But that that and but that's not that was only walking down one flight of stairs into the basement, not quite as complicated as what you're talking about. So it's it's just it's fascinating this whole thing <laughs> uh, to me to me. So so anyway, yeah, we're we we're transitioning to a new neighborhood which we love. Um, yeah, every everything is uh, is working out uh, um, you know nicely. But uh, and and I'm. I'm trying. We're trying to get back into like a normal routine with all this other excitement. So like, kids went back to school today. I came to my office. Um, new, you know, new commute to to work. I uh, I now have a different Starbucks that I can drive by, 
uh, my old Starbucks had a drive-through. This one, which is on on the you know the right-hand side, so I don't have to cross traffic, does not have a drive-through. So I had to plan ahead to get my mobile order while I was sitting at a stoplight somewhere. But it's a much quicker trip instead of a 35 or 40-minute commute in the morning. It was 18 minutes. Um, so like anyway, but little, little things like that. So I'm I'm in I'm in uh, I'm in flux, and then I turn around on. And go. Uh, I'm, I'm here. I'm here today. Tomorrow we are running a pilot for um, one of our observation studies, where we're um, where I'll be on a in, on site all day, as they say. I'll be in the field. Uh, Wednesday I'm going to go teach a workshop in Richmond, Virginia, and then Thursday I'm going to take the family to Yellowstone Park. Whoa. Uh, yeah, well, and, and a place that you, well, so the facilitation of this trip of, to Yellowstone Park is I will be speaking at the um, IFT, I think it's called the Intermountain uh, Group, Intermountain IFT, where I think you, sp- you spoke last year or two years ago, right? It's in Sun Valley, Idaho. Yes. Oh, yes. So, so I'm going, so we're going, I'm flying out to Sun Valley, Idaho, Friday, uh, Thursday morning, talk Friday morning, and then Saturday, Sunday, Monday, we're going to Craters of the Moon National Park, Yellowstone National Park, and then uh, uh, Tuesday morning, we all fly to Omaha, Nebraska for the STEC uh, CAP uh, annual meeting. So I'm, this And is by like everyone, a, you mean you and your family? Me and my family, yeah. Because oh, they're really into the STEC? They love the stack. They they can't get enough of the stack. Hey, so so speaking of Sun Valley, um, so as I recall, there were two options. One, you could fly into Sun Valley, which is a tiny little airport, or you could fly into Boise, I think, and rent uh-huh. a car. So which did you go with? Uh, I'm going with C, Don. Oh. Um, and this this one may surprise you. I'm flying into Salt Lake City and renting a car and driving four hours. Um, okay. The reason being well, uh, flights. Where, oh, flights. Okay. Yeah, we couldn't um, w- with the schedule of where, w- when we could leave, and when I needed to be there, and then we ha- when we have to leave again um, to get to the the step cap conference, and that we wanted to go to Yellowstone, which is in the a really opposite direction of Boise, mm. um, and that we have direct flights to Salt Lake City yep. Yep. from Raleigh. Uh, yep. And that I could get those direct flights on points, yep. uh, drastically less points than than a connecting flight to Boise. Yep. Um, yeah, we'll be flying into Salt Lake City. No, oh, that makes that makes perfect sense. And it's uh, it's a it was a nice drive from Boise to Sun Valley. I'm sure it's an equally nice drive, although longer. Um, but yes. hey, you got your you got your family, and it's yeah, it's it's fine. It's it's a it's a vacation. It is. It's good. It's a vac- It's a it's a work vacation. Uh, and the work parts, like I mean. Fairly, you know, I give a talk and I get to hang out with some food safety nerds for for a day, and then my family gets to enjoy this Sun Valley Lodge, Sun Sun Valley Resort, it's, whatever. What, yeah, sounds it's, awesome. It's nice. I mean, it's really nice. I would go back in a heartbeat. I mean, it was a little bit of a pain to get to, uh, just because you gotta, um, you know, you just gotta get. I mean, you have to get in a car and drive. I mean, I could chose chosen to flow 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 into to blah blah. I could have chosen to fly into Sun Valley, but that was that again connections and complications. So, uh, yeah, it's a little bit difficult to get to, but once you get there, it is just gorgeous. So, I uh, hope you have nice weather and uh, yeah, enjoy because. It's, it was I, I still remember, you know, just beautiful, beautiful sights. So fantastic. we're excited. Yeah, we're excited. And we're going to do some some, you know, sort of hiking, not not real hiking, um, but hiking that involves, uh, um, you know, driving and then walking for for three or four miles or two miles or whatever it is that their kids can do. 
and then uh, we're going to go see like a geyser, the oh, geyser, nice. you know, oh, old faithful, old faithful. And, and some. Yeah. And we're going to glamp. Do you know about glamping? Is that like glamour camping? It is. It's my kind of camping. <laughs> I don't know how I knew that, but I. Yeah. We're going to go to a place called. Let me look this up. Um, uh, where is it? Uh, under can- Yellowstone under canvas. Um, so, so this is how this, the, <laughs> send you a picture cause it looks awesome. It is like, I feel like we're prospecting with this, uh, this place that we're going to go to. Um, we get to lay out under the, under the stars. Um, imagine walking up, waking up to the sight, sounds and smells of nature in one of the most spectacular places on earth while relaxing your luxurious safari tent. I don't know. It depends. Some of those smells of nature are not so great, but uh, I guess it just depends on what you're smelling. Well, we are we are supply. We we have a shared bath, one room with two, one big bed, and a cot uh, for the for the four of us. And uh, yeah, it's uh, it, we're you know ha, ha, we figured we may never get to do this again, so we we're going to try it out. It, it looks like fun. I, I hope it, you enjoy. It does. I think we're gonna we're gonna have a great time, and you know what? That's what what I told Danny and the kids. If it sucks, it's for one night. Exactly. Um, exactly. We we can survive. How bad? Uh, Lewis and Clark did it for for months. Exactly. Uh, without internet and everything. Uh, so anyway, that's that. Yeah, that's the plan. So so like we move and and I'm back for a couple of days and we're we're doing some stuff and and then we take off again. So uh, and then I'm back on on June 19th or no June 16th I guess it is. Um, so, so anyway, we're, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to the next, uh, next, next two weeks of, of fun, but anyway, we should talk about food safety stuff. We should. So I alluded to this earlier. I want to talk about water temperature cause I have, I'm having trouble with my water temperature gauge and my, and my waterless, uh, uh, or my tankless water heater. And, and so Don, Don Schaffner, Tell me, tell me, please, about uh, hot water. And do I need do I need warm water with my uh, to wash my hands with? Do I do I not? Does it matter? Do you know anything about this? No, I don't. Well, I don't understand why you're bringing this up. Uh, no, I, I uh, apparently apparently I have published a paper. Um, uh, <laughs> Surprise. <on> <laughs> You know, there's so many men. It's hard to. It's like my graduate students are my kids. It's hard to keep track of all of them. Um, so uh, yeah, so I published a paper recently. We wrote a press release. Uh, I wrote a blog post about writing the press release. Um, my uh, my my our good our good mutual friend uh, Doug Powell asked me to write a blog post for Barf Blog. I want people to know I did not pick the title for some reason. No. Doug has decided to use a curse word in the title uh, of the of the blog post. Um, I guess because maybe the, maybe that because it, maybe that's uh, gives you better SEO. I don't I don't know. So um, it has been, just just so you know, it has been one of the most popular posts we've ever had on Facebook. <laughs> All right. So. All right. Well, there you go. That's that's good to hear. I think so. Uh, yeah. So it is. Um, uh, it, we wrote. Uh, so my graduate student Dane Jensen. Um, uh, 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 wrote uh, actually a wonderful PhD dissertation. Part of that dissertation was uh, an article um, uh, on um, different factors uh, for uh, that influence hand washing. And the um, the actual 
Oh, sorry. Let me uh, get this in a different tab. Um, the the title of the article, the JFP article, which has no curse words in it, I, I want to point out. Um, uh, quantif- <laughs> it's a pretty boring title. Uh, Doug's title is way more exciting. Um, uh, quantifying the effects of water temperature, soap volume, lather time, and antimicrobial soap as variables in the removal of E. coli ATCC 11229 from hands. And so... This is written by my graduate student, Dane Jensen, myself, and three uh, co-authors, sorry, four co-authors, all from Gojo Incorporated, uh, the makers of Purell, as well as various uh, soaps. And so the bottom line is water temperature does not matter. We studied uh, basically three different temperatures, essentially 60 degrees F, 80 degrees F, and 100 degrees F, and none of those uh, temperatures made any statistically significant difference in the effectiveness of hand washing. And so the message that I've been taking out there is you should use whatever water temperature is comfortable uh, to you. And so that's my advice to you, Ben. Once you learn how the faucets in your new house work, use a temperature that's comfortable. Um, uh, I some will. people like it hot, some people like it cool. Uh, you know, uh, de- some people it depends on the circumstances. So that's that's my advice to you. Um, and part of the reason why we, we did this is um, because we are hoping to uh, do science that informs the uh, modification or creation of the FDA model food code. And in the model code, it says uh, that you must wash your hands in warm water, but it does not specify warm. This is a change from previous versions of the code uh, that specified, um, uh, I think, 120 degrees Fahrenheit, which is which is very, very hot water to wash your hands in. Um, the... <clears throat> In a separate provision in the code, the FDA model food code, it says that hand wash sinks must be capable of delivering water at 100 degrees Fahrenheit in temperature. Now, that's not a requirement that you wash your hands at 100 degrees, only that the sink be capable of delivering 100 degree water, which, at least if you, one way of interpreting our findings is that that, that is not a reasonable thing to ask of a hand-washing sink um, because um, it's it has no bearing on the effectiveness of the hand-wash. Now, where it m- gets complicated is how do you take our findings, which show 60, 80, or 100 doesn't matter, how do you take those findings and translate them into something sensible in the code? Because what we don't want, and I actually had a very good question from somebody on, on Twitter about this, um, who said, well, I... You know, it hurts my hands uh, to have cold water, and I'm worried about somebody cheaping out on a hand wash sink and not providing, based on your research, and then not providing water uh, that is warm enough so that I can comfortably wash my hands. And so I really, again, the point that I've been stressing in the press I've been doing on this is that it should be about creating conditions that are comfortable for people to wash their hands because then they are more likely to do a good job, to do a thorough job, um, if the water is not scalding hot or freezing cold. Right, right. Well, and I, I want to point out, um, I, 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 I like, I love your papers, Don. Like, and I'm, I'm not doing this to be like, hey, you're my partner in crime and you write really good papers, but this and, and other papers um, that, that you've written over the time before we started doing this podcast and, and, and since, um, I think there's, it's, it's just written so clearly and, and you, you raise some, some extremely good, um, uh, points in, in discussion here. 
Um, I, I want to point out the you know the the piece, and and you you sort of touched on it here with comfortability because it, it's we want people to wash their hands and do a good job. And I would add that doing a good job with your data means lathering for twenty seconds, five seconds more than the baseline that you that you tested, um, and that was where the there there was the only thing that you had significant difference. So so being able to encourage um, uh, hand washing from a temperature that with a measurable difference of we we want folks to. Um, to lather for for at least twenty seconds. Now, I find it interesting, and, and well, I want to so, talk. So let me. Yeah, I want to so talk let, to you a little bit more like that. Well, yeah, yeah. So let me let me come back, okay, and and offer. It's not a it's not a correction. It would be a different interpretation. So we studied <clears throat> lather times of five, ten, twenty, and forty seconds. Now we did we specifically defined lather time rather than wash time because lather time is the amount of time that the, the person that's washing their hands is rubbing their hands together with soap on their hands. So it doesn't include the time to get your hands wet. It doesn't in- include the time to put soap into your hands. And it does not also not include the rinsing time. After you have lathered your hands, you need to rinse the soap off. And so we, for purposes of this study, we held rinsing constant at 10 seconds. Now, what we found was a statistically significant difference between 10 sorry between 5 and 20 seconds in other words a 5 second wash did not remove a 5 second lather excuse me a 5 second lather did not remove as many bacteria as a 20 second lather but and here and this and this is a point that i've been skipping over <clears throat> In the media that I've been doing, but I'm gonna I'm gonna unpack it for you because I love I know okay. you love when I love when it. You love packing. You love unpacking. I love unpacking. You love talking yes. about packing and unpacking. Okay, so here's the thing. So there is a statistically significant difference between five and twenty. There was not a difference between five and ten. Not between ten and twenty. Not between twenty and forty. Not between any of those other temperatures. Gotcha. So. My recommendation, my, my take-home message is you should wash your hands for at least 10 seconds of lather time. So rather than saying that, you know, you, have, you should lather for 20 seconds, and again, I, I have to go back and look and see exactly what the code says, um, um, but, but the finding, uh, our findings, my interpretation of our findings is at, at least 10 seconds. And I think the food code says something. I'm going to try and find it while we're talking here. Um, 10 to 15 seconds of. It doesn't say lather. It's vigorous. Okay, so yeah, so so what we wrote in the paper. Yeah, is the food code section two dash three oh one point one two dash b dash three requires lathering for 10 to 15 seconds during hand washing. Okay. Right. Okay. Now, now that 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 is not a direct quote. That is our interpretation. But but and you were about to read from the actual code. But so what I would say is that the code says the code is not specific, right? It says ten, 10 to fifteen seconds. So our our conclusion would be ten, 10 is probably sufficient since it's indistinguishable from twenty. But twenty is better than five. Right. And it the code says um, rub together vigorously for ten to fifteen seconds. Okay. With friction. Yep. Yep. So, yeah. Um, 
no, this is, this is, this is great. I mean, great stuff because I think, uh, the temperature, water temperature, and, and this, this comes back to some of the things that we've talked about in the past on inspections, measuring water temperature is easy, right? As a, as an environmental health specialist, I walk in, I turn on the faucet, as long as I can figure out which one's the, the hot and which one's the cold and it's not in my house, mm-hmm. I let it run. Uh, does it get up to 100 degrees Fahrenheit? Okay, we're good. Meaning, you know, we, we've we've hit the the requirement of the code. Um, someone's going to have to wash their water with their hands in warm water, as you mentioned. Doesn't really have, does not have a definition, uh, but it's done. Easy, easy to measure. Um, effectively, does it does it matter? on whether someone's going to wash their hands or whether the hand wash step, which is a different question, uh, is effective. What, what you, what you've shown here, um, with this, this data in these conditions is it's no more or less effective than other, other temperatures. And, and like, you know, like just to, to rehash this, we're looking at 15 degrees Celsius, 26 degrees Celsius. And what was your, you had a third temperature. Is that correct? Uh, yeah. hundred, hundred degrees Fahrenheit. So 100, yeah, yeah, 30, yeah. 15, 30, 26 and 38. Yeah. 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 Um, and, and so, uh, from a practicality and, and, and this is, this is what I urge for with my, um, with, with my work, uh, food code related and anything that I've done CFP and, and anything in, in that realm is that the, the data that you've got here, um, would, would support the fact that yes, maybe it's important to have temperature that or water that's warm, warm is subjective. Um, and, but a temperature of a hundred degrees Fahrenheit isn't going to make your, your hand washing the mechanics of the hand washing any more effective than right. Other well, well said. Yes. Um, so, so how do you, how do you think this plays out? Not, not, and I don't, I don't want you to speculate on what happens as, as this goes through the process, but what, if, if you're thinking about the bullet points that you're going to put into a, um, an issue to present to CFP, uh, in, in 2018, what what does that issue look like? like well, I, the code to remove 100 degrees Fahrenheit to to say instead of 100 degrees Fahrenheit, it um, I, I, we let's be consistent with the terminology of warm water. Is that like? Well, I guess what I would say, and and we can argue about this because I I'm really not. I don't have. I don't really know what the code should say, so I, I will admit that I don't have – I don't know. It's it's complicated, right? But yeah. what I would say is let me suggest as a starting point for negotiations is that we strike the word warm. We replace that with comfortable, mm-hmm. and we strike 100 degrees Fahrenheit, and we also replace that with comfortable. Um, because that's what really matters. It doesn't – it's not – I understand. I understand why the code says warm. I understand why the code says 100 because you need an objective measure. However, warm is not correct, and 100 is arbitrary. And so, so comfortable is subjective. It's subjective as hell, right? Because so, so an inspector walks in, checks the water temperature on your hand wash sink, and says this is not comfortable. 
well, that's a problem because you can't you can't you can't fight that in 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 court, right? You can't shut shut a restaurant down because an, an inspector thinks that something is comfortable, whereas other people say it's 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 not, right, or vice versa. Um, but uh, to be honest, to be truthful to what I believe matters, the right word is comfortable. This is this is interesting. I like this conversation. So I just did a full text search of the 2013 code, comfortable does not exist in the in the current code right like we can't look to somewhere else in the code that 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 has determined that um what we what we have in here is discomfort but that only is related to foodborne illness and you know and it really has nothing to do with with what we're talking about my my suggestion on this don or where where I would want to see this go is it because comfortable is subjective and it and it's not specific to to whom is it comfortable to well, the food employee is i would say to, to comfortable to the person who is washing their hands let me let so, me be very clear yes. about that i i don't really care whether the inspector thinks it's comfortable i understand right. that the inspector needs to evaluate be, because they have to make a decision about whether they're in compliance or not but but i mean comfortable to the person that is washing their hands so so let's let's just call that a food employee, right? Like that would take anybody because that is defined in the code. That is yeah, that's defined as, you know, an individual I, I don't have the definition in front of me here, but that's that's a person who um who who is not a manager, uh, but is could be a food handler, but may not be a food handler. They may be a dishwasher. Um and and I I'm co chairing this this committee on employee food handler training. Um, for, for CFP. So that's, a, that's a, that's a term that exists out there. My, my, so, so let's, if you go down that, that road, let's, let's, let, let, my suggestion would be to, to, to put food handler or sorry, food employee, not food handler. My, my inkling uh, here is to take, take it out, not talk about comfortable or, or not, because it isn't measurable. And it's not. Um, I think it, it becomes problematic if someone was looking to enforce it, or in turn, someone who is a food employee says, "I could not wash my hands because the water was not comfortable." So, so my, what if, what if you just said wash in water, and take the hundred degrees out? If it's if if we're fully like science based, right? Yeah, I I would I would be okay with that. Uh, as a, I mean, again, and the the great thing about the code is, or about the the conference, um, is it doesn't really matter what I think, right? It no. matters what we can yeah. what we can uh, have passed through Council Three that that also makes it through the the the, the state delegates. Um, but as a starting point, sure, that sounds reasonable to me. Uh, yeah, I think I. I I've feel like you, you get into this weird situation where someone um, who sits around there and, and maybe someone at FDA who then takes those recommendations from CFP says, well, how would we ever measure comfortable? And I mean, you, you kind of said it right at the start. You can't, right? Like that's, right. that's not the, that's not the goal here. Um, but, but, but oftentimes the, that's the lens of, of those who implement the food code because it's a regulatory document. Well, right. it's adopted as a regulatory doc- document in, in states and jurisdictions. Um, so, so I, yeah, this is, I, I just want to know where you're going to go with it. And yeah. we, my, my, um, you know what, what you could do here just to, I'm just spitballing here, Don, 
could uh, could leave comfortable in the in the code, um, and then make a suggestion that in the annex there there is a a list of steps of what comfortable means and what those best practices for comfort comfort would be that that the um, a rest you know a, a permitted facility manager or owner um, ensures that their food employees um, you know are, are find that the, the water temperature is comfortable and it's their responsibility to, to do so right like that's where we would put best practices well and I would say not only the hand water washing temperature is comfortable I would say the process of washing your hands is comfortable uh, right because yes. you know again one of the things that we do when we when we go out and inspect uh, university dining halls is we look to see we don't look to see whether people are washing their hands but we look to see whether the hand wash sinks are obstructed or not and so if you have pots piled in the hand wash sink that's not conducive to being comfortable to washing your hands, right? And right. so um, really it's about, can I easily get to the sink? Can I easily turn on the water? Do I like the way the soap feels on my hand? Is the water temperature comfortable? Um, can I hold my hands in a comfortable position as I lather? Um, is there a nail brush there if I want one? Um, is there an easy and, and convenient and comfortable way to wa to use towels, uh, paper towels or whatever have you to dry my hands? I mean, so really it's about making it easy for people to do the right thing. Yeah, yeah. And 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 I'll add in a couple other things there. Like, does the soap make my hands stink? Oh does my it God, dry my that. hands yes. out? Right? Yes. Right. Yeah. Like those are those are all factors here in whether someone is likely to wash their hands. And um or or and I say whether someone whether I'm likely to wash my hands correctly. Like if I'm placing myself into a food employee um role. And so, so I think there's lots of things that you could include into that that list that that does come down to the operators' um, management, right? Like this isn't a regulatory thing. Um, what where the regulatory teeth come in, it, for me is did someone actually wash their hands? Did they wash them when they were supposed to? We can um, use my favorite word of unpack uh, the reasons why someone may or may not do so, but that doesn't even really matter from a regulatory standpoint, right? Like we're we're enforcing something that is one of those factors. Like water temperature is only one of the factors of comfort in in my right. So why right. do we focus on water temperature and not really smelly soap or soap that dries that cracks my hands? that doesn't have a moisturizer, all that kind of stuff. Like why, why did that, why, why are we focused? And, and I think the answer is because temperature is really easy to measure and smelly soap's not. Yes, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Right. And so, and that's bad, right? We don't want yeah. to go with things that are easy to measure. We want to go with measuring the right things. Oh, Absolutely. and before we, before we leave, or as a segue into measuring the right things, I do want to touch on a couple other aspects of the study. So we also looked at soap volume. Uh, so 0.2 mLs, or sorry, 0.5 mLs, 1 mL, and 2 mLs. Soap volume within that range does not matter. Um, one of the points that my Gojo uh, colleagues were very keen to, to help me work on in the press release is exactly how we state that, uh, because they don't want to send the message that you can use, therefore you can use as little soap as you want, right? And so yeah, what yeah. that means is that, again, based on our research, you should use at least 0.5 mLs. Um, uh, which is important, but that more soap doesn't necessarily matter, but that doesn't mean you can use no soap or use a very, very small amount of soap. Um, 
the other time we talked about. Um, and then finally, the other variable that we looked at, and I would be very curious as to your thoughts on this, and I'm, I'm have a very well established uh, and and well <laughs> shared thoughts on on this issue of um, antimicrobial soap, and so we looked at plain soap, uh, bland soap, and a soap with an antimicrobial agent, and what we discovered. And this is this is interesting. So, what we ended up saying in uh, the abstract was that um, let's see. Um, Oh, let's see. I can't. I can't. Oh, yes. An antimicrobial soap formulation with 1% uh, chlorozylenol was not significantly more effective than bland soap for removing E. coli under a variety of test conditions. But, and, and I think that that ended up getting into the abstract because of a response to, uh, response to review. But what we also say in the document is that um, there was a highly significant effect of. Uh, antimicrobial soap. Uh, let's see if I can find it here. Um, there was, a, yes, a significant difference in microbial reduction was found between soap formulations. P-value equals 0. 0.0003. So, yep. highly significant, but the difference was about 0. A third of log. three log, which is on a non-log scale is 50%. Okay. So antibacterial yep. soap um, resulted in 50% lower concentrations on hands, but um, that uh, we, and again, this may have also been introduced into the manuscript in response to review that is within the range of error for microbiolo microbiology data, i.e. a clinically significant difference. Now, what I will also say is that our, in another paper, we analyzed, we did a meta-analysis of hand washing in, uh, in, in the literature and uh, determined that the, the difference was about half a log, which is about a 70% difference, okay, um, and that it was significant, and it was significant, okay, statistically significant based on analysis of literature data. And then, and then thirdly, we did another paper um, that was basically a risk assessment where we simulated a food worker having Shigella on their hands and then washing their hands in uh, plain soap versus antimicrobial soap and then handling a ready-to-eat food, which was then fed to people in the, in the computer simulation. And the using of the antimicrobial soap resulted in fewer illnesses um, because the, the transfer, the, the number of Shigella remaining on the hands was less, and uh, that resulted in lower illness. And so, uh, you know, again... This is a moot point for consumers because FDA has decided that, that uh, the industry cannot sell uh, antimicrobial soaps to consumers without doing essentially doing a clinical trial, which, which would cost uh, more than the, 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 what the product is worth. So the industry is not going to do that. For now, um, antimicrobial soaps are still allowed for use in food service and in food processing plants. And I really hope that it stays that way. I'm, I'm kind of disappointed that consumers don't have that choice anymore, but, you know, it is what it is, and, and I, I disagree with uh, FDA Cedar. I disagree with their opinion um, uh, that there, there is no difference, which they say is based on science, but they apparently looked at my – either didn't see the work that we've done or they've looked at it and, and chosen to ignore it for reasons that are not clear. So anyway, so that, that's, yeah. uh, that's, that's my, that's my wrap-up on the study. Yeah, no, this is, this is good. I, I want to um... – I want to throw something sort of back at you that that relates to that last piece on antimicrobials, and and I think that this this is where 
um, priorities uh, of pathogens get get into into play, right? So not knowing anything about what cedar looks at, not knowing what they what they might focus on, and and thinking about what what you, what Dane did here and what what you guys focused on here with um, with, with a you know a generic E. coli strain as the the test. Um, indicator organism, really, right? If we looked at hand washing uh, and norovirus as, as our, you know, if we looked at norovirus as, as a pathogen of concern in food service when hand washing was a facilitating or improper hand washing was a facilitating um, uh, factor in illness and, and it, it w- really then, you know, the next step, you know, the next piece of research I'd like you to do, Don, and is, is that is answer that question. Right. And maybe that's what what we what the um, what the eggheads at, at Cedar are doing is saying um, E. coli is is a great indicator here for how bacterial pathogens are going to perform um, and, and respond to, to hand washing. But let's let's look at at viruses and are they going to be any different? And. And, and and with antibacterial soap not formulated for as an antiviral, yep. um, maybe that's maybe that's a factor here. Well, yes, and so a cu- couple of points. Um, number one, I would offer a small correction in that um, we should probably call generic E. coli a surrogate. Thank you. Uh, rather Thank you. than Sorry. an indicator. It's Indi- okay. Yes. It's, it's a, th- this is a thing that I think that eventually we'll get everybody on board with. So I would say it's an indicator, not a surrogate. One key question, or a surrogate, not an indicator. One key question is, is it a valid surrogate? And, of course, the, to answer that question, um, we would need to – one way of answering it would be to put actual pathogens on people's hands. Yeah. Um, which would not get uh, – human subject approval and or biosafety approval from the university, I suspect. But the good news is that my very clever uh, graduate student, uh, Dane Jensen, who had the uh, who, who basically was the lead author on this, uh, another bit of research we haven't published yet, but it's, it's been submitted for peer review, is he made um, basically an artificial hand-washing machine, which, is, which takes two pieces of pig skin – Fastens them. The um, old pigskin, the, the, like, uh, the, the old literal pigskin from so literal pigs. I like um, it. I like <laughs> you wouldn't want to throw this around. It's kind of big and clunky. Um, uh, and basically attaches them to metal plates, and then has a, a reciprocal motion, which rubs the the pieces. I don't. You can't. You can't. This is a podcast, but I'm rubbing my. You can maybe yeah. I get them close. You can hear. I'm rubbing my hands together next to the microphone. We're, ma- um, we're making uh, rain. <laughs> Exactly. Um, uh, and, and we did that because we wanted to test uh, not some soaps, but we wanted to test some surfactants and see if it made a difference. We could use that same device uh, to, with actual soap and, and compare, let's say, pathogens versus uh, the, the surrogate. So there's a way to do that. Um, uh, also, you're right. Uh, we, do, we would need to, to figure out uh, what the effectiveness was against viruses. But that leads me to another question, which is – and I was just reviewing an article – on hand washing for another journal, I won't reveal the details except to say, you know, there's and there's a lot of people out there who have a lot of opinions, and and I think some of them are wrong. But here's the thing: the most important thing is I don't care. I don't care about my hand washing research. I don't care about other people's hand washing research. If you are shedding pathogens. Because you have diarrhea, I don't care how you wash your hands. I don't want you making my food. Yeah. Right? That is, in terms of risk management, 
That's the single most important thing is to get the sick worker out of the kitchen because who cares how effective the hand wash is? I don't care. They, they, if they got diarrhea, out of the kitchen, bottom yeah. line, right there. You could have the world's best hand washer, right? Yeah. You can have – You can have two log reduction. Two or maybe two, three. Oh, you, all the logs. You can, <laughs> ten, ten logs. Do them <laughs> – I, you know, you could wash it. You could do the, the triple wash. Um, you're, I mean, you're right, right? Like the, the, the thing is the increased risk of having someone who's shedding, even if they're trying to manage that shedding, um, is, is still in more risk than if they weren't. Uh, and, and we've seen this with, um, with hepatitis A, right? This is one of my, one of my favorite things to, to talk about where, um, hep A, you've got this time uh, often where individuals are shedding that virus for quite some time before displaying symptoms. And there's a window of exposure. Um, and, and even with the best hand washing, we still end up with illnesses, right? And that best hand washing is a um, is, is one of these, like I put in air quotes. Um, I had, uh, I, I don't want to talk too much at a, at a turn on, on this, but I had someone in public health, uh, contact me a while ago about a situation where, um, the, there was some conflict between, uh, epidemiologists and, uh, the regulators on what to do with the hepatitis A incident. And it was a hepatitis A, uh, it, there was a food handler, food employee that, um, the, the epidemiologist said was the, the, the manager reported this was one of their best hand washers, never would have an issue, but tested positive for hepatitis A and no public alert went out because this happened with someone who was really good at hand washing. Right. Like, like that was, that was, and nice. the regulator, the regulator was like, this, this isn't, this isn't right. Like no, we, no. we really need to push that out there yes. and, and say, I don't, you know, we don't care because it's still only a two log reduction. What yes. if they're shedding in, in five log? What yes. if like, there's so, so many things. So anyway, I, I came to this regulator's defense and we talked a bunch and, and I, and I think that, um, I, I don't think, I, I mean, I know that publicly no, no information ever went out about this. And fortunately, um, there were no reported hepatitis A illnesses associated with this, with this individual, but, but it's not, I mean, these things aren't black and white. This isn't, uh, well, this person's really good at hand washing because as you, as you showed, and as we talked about here, at, at most you're going to get to log and who cares how great they are. Um, if they're shedding, they shouldn't be there. Like they're exactly. Yeah. So um, I'm with, Oh, good stuff. Good stuff. Oh, so, and there's been, there's been a a, a fair bit of press. It's no, as as I put, it's no five five second rule, but, uh, um, but the other thing that I want to, to, to put out there, and and this is a point that I made in, in my, in my effing blog post, um, is that when the, uh, when the, the person, the press officer from the university wrote the original press release, um, she put in the title, um, something about, uh, killing. Let me see if I can get the exact quote. Um, yeah, uh, an early draft of the press release had the title "Cool Water as Effective as Hot Water for Killing Germs," um, and her point was that well, uh, the, if you use "killing" in the headline, uh, that gets uh, more hits on Google. 
<laughs> which is right, right? Uh, yeah, and you know from your work in the news media, if it bleeds, it leads, right? Um, exactly. uh, if it kills it, uh, the it, it SEOs. It, it grills. Uh, it grills. Uh, kills it, uh, hits. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I got nothing. Um, but, uh, I, you know, as I, as I said, uh, I couldn't in good conscience tell a scientific fib. Uh, hand washing does not kill germs. Now, maybe antibacterial soap does result in some killing uh, because there's a, there, ha, there has to be a reason why it's different than, than plain soap. But most of, the, most of the benefit from a hand wash is removing bacteria from your hands and letting them be washed down the drain. So, um, yeah, but, oh, and despite that, I want to say, and we will we will not link to this um, in in show notes because I don't want to give them publicity. But um, th- there was at least one uh, press venue that did use the word "killing" in the title of their of their post about the research. So, you know, despite your best efforts, people are still going to get it so, wrong. Exactly. Yeah. Hey, but it's out there, and you can point to the peer reviewed paper. Yes. And, and and no one no one can say, hey, when when do I get to see that research? Because there it is, Journal of Food Protection. Uh, volume 80, number six. Boom. Boom, boom, boom. Um, hey, so um, you, you, you have a semi-heart out at, uh, at noon, and I, I, do. I do as well. So uh, we have to keep that in mind here. But we, do have, we have one thing that we've got to spend time on here. Sure. Um, and that is uh, oil. It's it's oil from from lamb burgers or lard or things that that people bacon, fat and grease, things that you might cook with and leave on your stove. And on a on a very I would say very popular podcast that you and I both listen to uh, Roderick on the line um, our our friends. And I say this not not facetiously. These are friends, not just friends of the pod, uh, John Roderick and Merlin Mann. Uh, had a discussion about uh, cooking things and how long uh, grease, bacon grease, and, and oil could be left out, uh, and 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 name checked us and said this is a question for Don and Ben. So I want I want to answer this question now. In this twenty five minute uh, uh, conversation that that we will link to, which was fascinating, um, John John Roderick at the end said, uh, "I know what's going to happen here, Merlin." That's my best friend, Roderick. <laughs> uh-huh. I, I know what's going to happen, Merlin. Um, one of them is going to say it's it's not it's not too risky, and the other one's going to say, "Well, it's it's risky." And and Merlin says, "John, that's why uh, food safety is a turns out uh, venture, where everything you know about it really turns out it might be not not the case." So uh, let's let's uh, let's address uh, um, uh, the the ultimate question here is how um, two there's two here. How safe is it to leave grease, baking grease, oil, cooking oil in a pan? How long at room temperature? And then uh, as, uh, how appropriate or correct is it? Which was, uh, which was Merlin's uh, really second question here. Because I think he knew the answer that we were going to give was, well, it's, it's, it's pretty low risk and it's fairly safe. Right, and so I would say I would say there's uh, there's there's two parts to this because uh, because in honor of Merlin, uh, there's always two parts to everything. He's not gonna. I know John's not gonna listen because John doesn't listen to podcasts, and, and yeah. Mer- Merlin probably won't listen because he's very he's not very busy. He's very time constrained. Um, but but those comments are for him. So uh, I would say from a food safety perspective, the risk is quite low, and that is because um, oil, in- including lard, 
is a low water activity food. And so um, it is not uh, conducive to supporting the growth of microorganisms. Now, where it gets a little difficult is if you have a bit of food debris in that lard and that food debris does support pathogen growth, um, that might present a risk. But, but pure lard in and of itself, uh, low risk. Now, the other part to that is that there are uh, there will be flavor changes, um, and fat is subject to oxidation. And also, I remember um, from taking a class um, uh, in graduate school, um, class by uh, Ron Eitenmiller, who's a nutritional uh, a nutritionally oriented food science person, a faculty member at the uh, University of Georgia. Um, I took a, he in his class covered uh, breakdown of cooking oil. Um, uh, during frying. And uh, as this product breaks down, it forms carcinogenic compounds. And so this is why uh, somebody uh, like a, a fast food chain, like a McDonald's or a Burger King, has rules about how dark that frying oil can be uh, before they, they change it out, because it does form um, uh, uh, potentially toxic uh, cancer-causing compounds. And I would say the same thing is, again, I'm not a uh, fat chemist or I, I uh, or a lipid chemist, either one of those, um, uh, and so. Um, but but I suspect that there probably is a, a quality there. I, I I can say definitively as a food scientist, there will be a quality point, and there will also be uh, likely a, a safety point sometime in the future. And then the third the third thing I would add, just as a little bit of color, um, I have uh, no recollection of this, but I have heard my father tell the story of his father, my grandfather, um, who uh, back in the day when they when when this was a thing, you kept lard on the stove. Uh, he would have bacon, and they would save the, the lard from the bacon. And every uh, morning, he would uh, use that to put on toast uh, because it was a delicious uh, uh, treat uh, to have on, on toast. And so, and he uh, he was he was a. Uh, not a, not a massively obese man, but he was. I remember him as being a large man. Um, uh, but he lived a pretty long time. <laughs> so uh, there you go. Good. Have good. Have good genes, and uh, you can eat what you want, uh, including uh, night burritos or uh, or lard. So, uh, I, what are your thoughts, Ben? Uh, yeah. No, I, I have very little to to add to this. Uh, I think the food debris um, uh, comment. I want to I want to unpack that. You know how I like to unpack things, Don. Um, and, uh, a little bit because there's, I, I think you run into a situation when you're cooking any sort of food in, um, or in, in saving that, that oil or saving that grease or whatever we're going to call it lard. Um, it, there's always going to be some food debris, right? And I think the food debris, um, that, uh, it, that that issue, uh, like I, I would be more worried about food debris that's added afterwards, not part of the cooking process. So like I'm dipping a spoon in there that I've used to to put some um, uh, you know, that, that that is come from um, something that may likely have a, um, you know, a clostridium botulinum on it or, uh, you know, something that that's come out of out of soil. And because I, I don't, I, and this is, uh, the parts where we get into like the, um, uh, educated guesses and, and speculation. I can't think of any situation where someone has cooked a bunch of bacon and, and that led to a bot issue, right. By leaving it on there. But, but I could see like a, a garlic and oil or a fresh herb and oil situation where where you introduce something that's got a little bit of water activity still around it into that anaerobic environment. That seems more risky to me. Yes, I, so, I, I would agree. 
So, so that's where I, I wouldn't, um, I'm not, I, I, I think this is absolutely a really low risk, um, low, low risk thing from both, uh, um, pathogen survival, pathogen growth and history thing. We just, we just haven't seen it now, not to say it couldn't be a problem, but yeah, I'm, I'm not worried about it. The oxidation stuff. I did a little bit of digging on this mm-hmm. and, and I didn't go, I, I, I didn't go way back into the, uh, to the archives, um, of food safety, but I'm going to, um, link to a couple of articles, one from comprehensive reviews in food science and food safety, and another one from, uh, where is this other one? Um, a, a European journal that looks at, um, just the, like how long, uh, this is from, um, Grassi, e Isietis. Uh, which is the in this paper is an oxidative stability of lard and sunflower oil supplemented with coffee extracts under storage conditions, and then the comprehensive reviews in food science and food safety. The paper is um, mechanisms and factors for edible oil oxidation. Um, really, you're looking at this this oxidation. Just uh, looking at both of these papers, the the quick answer is this isn't a couple of days. You're looking at weeks, right? Uh, bef- before you're you're finding any measurable oxidation that that could create off flavors and 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 uh, and taste differences, right? And I, yeah, and then that would be that would sort of square with what my intuition was. So good, yeah. So anyway, it's a great. I mean, really great uh, question. We were glad that we could. Uh, um, uh, glad we can join in as, as and continue our uh, food safety to the podcast stars service. Right, and I would say if you are if you are a Roderick on the line listener who found us through them, you're you're we're so glad that you're here. If you are a uh, food safety talk listener and you have not checked out Roderick on the line yes yet, shame on you. You should be listening. It's it's required. It's required reading. Required listening um, for this podcast. So. Um, uh, and, and so in the time remaining, Ben, one of the things that we've been doing lately, which I think is a really important service, speaking of, of, of helping the listeners, um, is we do have um, three uh, listener questions that I want to try to answer, answer a rapid fire here before we have Let's our do it. semi-hard out. So um, the first one is a, uh, a question that came to you, um, uh, which says, uh, hey, uh, uh, ben, um, my uh, significant other wants to make sushi tonight. Have you done this before at home? I assume that the Asian fresh market will have great sushi grade section, but do you have any other tips? So this is a uh, a, a person that we won't we won't name because they didn't ask to be identified, but somebody who lives in the RTI um, area. Um, and before you answer the question, I have to express a little bit of rage in that um, uh, the title of the email message is random question about sushi. <laughs> this is this is not a random question about sushi. Very specific. This is a very, very specific question about sushi. A random question about sushi would be, um, uh, what color sushi is your favorite, right? That's yeah. a random question. And this just, just drives me up the wall, people misusing the word random, and I correct people, especially my graduate students, because it's just the thing that I do now because I'm a cranky old man. Get off my lawn. Stop using the word random incorrectly. Okay, Ben, your answer. My my answer is 
uh, or was that um, sushi grade is like this term that that we talk about quite a bit, but there's not like a regulatory um, definition. Like it's not like grade A, it's not like um, organic if it was a USDA regulated food. It's something that that's out there. And what I think it means or what what I think people think it means is that this fish has been pre-frozen for parasite destruction. But it's it really comes out in the um, the retail world where the food code really provides detailed information about fish that is going to be sold um, uh, raw, served raw to uh, individuals at a permitted facility that it goes through pa- parasite destruction. And you know, in the code, they talk about um, storing at a temperature of um, minus 20 Celsius or below for 168 hours. Um, but I, I am leery, and this is what I what I told my um, the person who, who asked, that I, if I was to go to a, mar- a, a retail, a food retailer for consumers, and they said, hey, we have sushi-grade sushi, I would want to know what that means. And I would want to know explicitly what pathogen parasite destruction happened to it. And... How and and if they couldn't tell me that, I would just do it myself, if I really really wanted to to make it. So I would go ahead and freeze it for seven days, which would make making sushi tonight difficult, unless I wanted to use fish sticks, or pre frozen, you know, salmon or tuna or something. Right. Like 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 purchased it already frozen. Uh, that was part one. Okay. Oh, wait. part right. two was, um, with the Hepe. Uh, we've had two outbreaks of, of Hepe linked to sushi um, uh, products. One was scallops in, in Hawaii about a year ago. Um, and another one was uh, about a month ago uh, linked to ahi uh, or poke. I think that's the same the same fish. Um, and so I would really want to know where it was coming from and, and um, get a better sense of if this is from an area that we're likely to get uh, hepatitis A from. And and so for all of those reasons, this to me is one of those things where I would uh, I wouldn't do this one at home myself. Uh, I'm more likely to go to a regulated facility where they have to a get that product from uh, uh, an approved source, and b that it has to go through parasite destruction regulatorily um, before they serve it to me. Cool. What do you got? Anything? Um, is that good? Uh, only thing I would say is um, uh, don't if if something says uh, back scrape, uh, don't get that. <laughs> oh, because that because because that uh, is is gross. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So uh, I wanted to I wanted to, to so there's a uh, yeah okay here we go um, let's see if we can find it so um, we sent we were sent a, um, a listener uh, question. Uh, uh, from uh, Hunter, uh, who says, uh, share all details freely. Um, I've been listening to you guys for a while. Uh, you're a great reminder for this food sa- former food safety Uh-oh. professional turned computer guy who loves to cook. Oh, my gosh, you, you're right in our wheelhouse, Hunter. Um, uh, he <laughs> says uh, he was cruising Life Hacker. He saw something about a guide on how to pasteurize raw, unpasteurized eggs at home with your sous vide. 
Um, he said it raises some red flags because he doesn't know the science well enough to and put a rubber stamp for food safety. Um, he says he's seen too many Pinterest and blog recipes that skip uh, time temperature details. Um, and he says, so I have a couple questions regarding unpasteurized egg, um, uh, which, I assume com- uh, which I assume comes from a farmer's market or a home chicken coop. Does it really need to be pasteurized if I'm cooking with them and then washing my hands after? Will this technique safely um, unpasteurize? Will this, will this technique safely... Uh, um, and it's, again, it's cut off in, in my email. I apologize. Will this safely uh, treat unpasteurized raw eggs? Uh, Louis Pasteur approved, uh, so the, the definition of uh, pasteurized there. Um, let's say I get unpasteurized eggs from a farmer's market. How likely am I to get someone sick uh, from egg handling or eating them? Um, so my answer was um, most eggs are not pasteurized, okay? Um, uh, the, we'll, we'll link to uh, uh, the Lifehacker article as best I can find it. Um, I, don't, I don't think people need to uh, pasteurize eggs at home um, because the risk is generally low. Again, one in uh, 10,000 or one in 20,000 is the common number that we've tossed out and that is that is science-based. Um, will the technique in the Lifehacker article pasteurize, safely pasteurized, uh, safely pasteurize raw eggs? Um, my question is yes, I think so. If you if you plug in the times and temperatures that they're using um, uh, into uh, uh, Appendix A from the model food code, which is for meat, but I'd say it's pretty equivalent um, in terms of risk reduction. Um, yes, it's uh, you get uh, a high number of log reduction. So so 37 minutes for a seven log reduction in salmonella and beef. And this Lifehacker article at the same temperature. 135 degrees Fahrenheit, um, 70, uh, 75 minutes. Um, uh, so yes, I, I would think that the process is is a good one. Um, now let's. He says now. Oh, the question about unpasteurized eggs. Um, risk is low, but on the other hand, if you like making uh, dishes like eggnog that routinely use. Um, uh, on that r- routinely make with raw eggs, I would say you should consider this. This is probably a good risk reduction measure if you routinely eat dishes that, ha- you know, let's say you're making a Caesar salad or you're making eggnog or something. Um, this is probably a good risk management uh, practice to follow, um, especially if you have, if, if you're already doing sous vide. Your thoughts, Ben? Yeah. So I did a little digging beyond the life hacker uh, combination of 135 at 75 minutes and just said, okay, let me see if I could find um, how to pasteurize eggs at home by my, you know, like, and, and why. And I found, I just sent you a link mm-hmm. uh, to this that we'll uh, include in show notes to um, a bakingbits.com uh, article from 2011 uh, said entitled how to pasteurize eggs at home. And here's a little different situation. Don, pasteurized mm-hmm. eggs are eggs that are cooked briefly at high temperature and then cooled. The yolk must reach a temperature of about 138 degrees Fahrenheit. Um, So they suggest to pasteurize eggs, put them in a saucepan filled with water and heat the water, bring it up to 140 degrees, keep the water at 140 for three minutes and no more than 142, reduce the heat on the burner if necessary, remove the eggs from hot water and rinse thoroughly with cold water, store in the refrigerator until needed. So let's go to appendix um, A on and let's look at what it says at 140 degrees. Don, it's not three minutes. I need 12 minutes. Yes. So best part about the link that I sent you was it says, um, disclaimer, I feel compelled to mention that I cannot absolutely guarantee this method is going to completely eliminate the one in 20,000 chance that an egg you have might have salmonella. Although as long as your egg reaches the appropriate temperature, it should be effective. Eh, That's wrong. 
It's not true. Yeah, it's uh, not, not science-based. No, not 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 good. Uh, it was published in 2011. There's 65 comments. Hopefully, some are calling it out as um, uh, BS. Um, and I did find the uh, the actual uh, life uh, life hacker article, and it's from it's by Beth Swaricki. Yeah, we know Beth. we know her, right? So yeah. she does good work. So yeah, thumbs up. Beth, good, good work. Uh, this is actually a good, good article, and um, again, I would, su- I would support the time temperature recommendations in this article because they do, uh, again, uh, one thirty-five for seventy-five minutes uh, does seem like it would, it would work um, to get a significant salmonella risk reduction. So, thumbs up, yeah. good work, Beth. And good job. Also, That's my and, our favorite life hacker. And and thanks to Hunter for the question. So good, good work, yeah. uh, Hunter. Um, and then uh, so one more um, incubation period. Yeah. So, um, would you guys uh, consider uh, commenting on common symptoms of food poisoning? It must differ for various pathogens. Is there a way to know you've eaten something off as opposed to having some other reason for your intestinal symptoms? What is the typical onset of symptoms? Could I feel sick one hour after eating bad food? Or is there a longer incubation period? Fever? Yes or no? Classic food poisoning? Um, uh, often hear somebody say they had food poisoning, but I wonder how much of it is really due to eating something with a pathogen. Um, also, if a food has gone off, off and you'd get sick from eating it, um, uh, would heating the bleep out of it prevent illness? If you sterilized it, would it just taste bad? Are there toxins? So, so many good questions here. Um, common symptoms, vomiting and diarrhea. Um, it is different for different pathogens. Uh, toxins, as uh, those that are formed by Staph aureus, d- tend to induce vomiting and no diarrhea. If it's an intoxication, you generally you generally don't have a fever, whereas a fever is an indication of an infection. So Staph aureus, no fever. Clostridium botulinum, no fever because of their intoxications. Um, some organisms cause infection and intoxication. Bacillus cereus is one of those. Um, if you get the toxin kind, you typically don't have a fever. If you get the infection kind, you typically do. Um, incubation period differs as well. For toxins, it is generally quicker, although Clostridium botulinum could be an exception. But with staph toxin, generally you're sick two to four hours after ingesting the food. You have vomiting and then you're okay. Um, uh, otherwise, uh, typical incubation periods for infections uh, would be 24 to 48 or even 72 hours. So it's not the food that you immediately ate, uh, but food that you, uh, that you ate um, several days before. Um, with some organisms like listeria, you can have very long incubation periods on the order of weeks or more. Um, if you have a food that has spoiled, I'm going to interpret gone off as being spoiled, um, heating the crap out of it, it would still taste spoiled. Um, there, and again, as, as, as I said before, Staph aureus makes toxins. Those Staph toxins do survive cooking. And so there's a famous outbreak of uh, mushrooms from China where the mushrooms had staph growth uh, prior to retorting, and it was retorted and still made people sick. Um, The thing about incubation period reminds me of another thing on the internet, which we can maybe touch on very, very briefly if if you think we have time, and that is what turns out to be a fictitious news report from a strip bar where people got food poisoning. Ah, it's too bad that it was fictitious, Don. Yeah. One of the greatest reports ever. Um, pooping on stage. Bunch of people got sick from the pooping. Yeah. I wish I wish it was real. It would have been the greatest um, barf blog story of all time. <laughs> yes. Uh, so anyway, so so uh, thanks. Uh, thanks for um, uh, thanks for 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 
for that. I, I, I heard about this on Barf Blog, and then uh, they were actually just talking about it on Dubai Friday, which is a, another podcast uh, that uh, that Merlin uh, uh, is on. And so he really hit the the, the food safety uh, trifecta this week, uh, talking about food safety on many of his podcasts. It's food safety week. Um, hey, nothing, nothing for me to add. Good job on the symptoms. Uh, I think that's a show. Food safety talk uh, number one twenty seven is complete. Boom, boom. All right, Don. Thanks a lot. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. So I've got this one. Do you have time to look at, say, June 20th? Yes. In your calendar? And if you can do June 20th, then we're good. Uh, I can do June 20th. I've got an NJAFP board meeting in the morning. I've got a CFP conference call. And then uh, I'm attending the Nacho uh, edible marijuana sharing session, which is not not, not Nacho the uh, food, but Nacho the uh, health officer thing. So. I could okay. do I could do right after that, so I could do two o'clock. Two o'clock's uh, good. Look, can we make it two thirty? Sure. Okay, let's make it two thirty. I have a meeting at uh, to talk about gardens and food safety at one. FST one twenty eight. Okay, cool. I will get this up. I already I already took some show note titles. All right. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. Go go do your thing, and I'll go do my thing. Sounds good. All right. We'll talk to you later. Bye bye. Bye.